Good morning, evening, afternoon, wherever you are in the world. This is Harrison Smith with another episode of Cinema. And not only is Cinema brought to you by Dark Matter TV, it is also brought to you by the words love and soulmates. Dark Matter TV is a streaming platform where you can find not just current genre entertainment and horror, sci-fi, thriller, and action, but also classic content that takes you back to the great old days of late night cable and finding those cult and classic films that they just don't make anymore. Available for download on Android or Apple or visit darkmattertv.com. It's free, it's fun, and it's gonna grow. I'm going to start out this podcast by saying that I have watched at least several seasons of the shows, except for Love is Blind, which is brand new. Uh, I have watched several seasons of these shows to know what I am talking about. And I watch them for the specific purpose of commenting on what I'm about to today. I'm referring to, of course, these quote unquote reality shows such as The Bachelor, Bachelorette, 90 Day Fiance and whatever stupid spinoffs they have there, and Love is Blind. I'm excluding Sister Wives from this for other reasons because it brings in religion as well, so I'm I'm not going to bring in that complicating factor. And the point of this podcast today is, you know, number one, cinema is about critical thinking in our entertainment, and in addition, uh, cinema is also about looking at cynicism. And I'm looking at today the cynicism of love, the word love, and how this word has been bandied around and thrown around so much that I'm going to argue the word love no longer really has any meaning. What is your definition of love? What does love mean? Because I can tell you, not only in my own personal life, but in my profession, The word love is used all of the time. Oh, we love you. We love your project. We love your script. We love your film. Love, 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 love. Now, let me give you an example. Even online, people love you. They love what you have to say, but they don't love you enough to click on your link or to investigate what you might be promoting or love you enough sometimes just simply to leave some positive feedback. It turns out that the ones that usually hate you expend more effort than those who quote-unquote love you. I've used this example before in a previous podcast, and I went to Paramount Pictures one time for a meeting with their indie development department, and I went with a fellow director who's known for some things. If I, if I said his name, you'd know who he is. And uh, while I was sitting there in this meeting, the executive kept saying, oh, we love him, we love him, we love his work, we love, 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 we love him. And I finally grew so tired of hearing the word love thrown around that I looked right at her and said, well, if you love him so much, why don't you hire him? And to that, the executive had no answer. And what do you know? The meeting ended not long after my comment and calling out such bullshit. We love celebrities. We love ice cream. We love food. We love shows. We love this song. I I hear little kids all the time that you turn on the radio. Oh my God, I love it. They've heard three beats of the song. Oh my God, I love this song. Love, 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 love. Do you love your spouse, your significant other? Uh, Do you love your dog? I think we've used the word so much that it joins the ranks of such words as awkward and inappropriate that there's just no meaning behind it. I am arguing that these shows send a very detrimental message to any of the younger viewers 
And viewers that don't know any better, there are some that say, well, I love trash TV and I watch it for the trash effect. Look, you can enjoy whatever the hell you want. I'm not saying to cancel these shows. I'm not saying we shouldn't watch them, ban them, censor them, whatever. Put them out there. We should have a better educated public, however, who end up turning these doofuses that go on these shows and choose to expose what should be very private uh, out into the public. Uh, we're turning them into stars and celebrities and you know whether you want to call them influencers or whatever we're, we're creating a cottage industry out of this stupidity we take this word love that i can't believe the outrage and cancel culture isn't all about coming after these shows because they're so sensitive about other words being used but no one seems outraged by the genuine abuse of the word love and most of all the deluding of the word love to the point that now we justify our bad behavior and stupid behavior under the pretext or umbrella of love. Oh, it's all excused because it was done in the name of love. No, it was done in the name of stupidity. As I opened, I said this episode jokingly like Sesame Street, uh, it's brought to you by the words love and soulmates. I want to look at the word soulmate for a moment. And I want to ask you, for those of you thinking you have a soulmate, just what the hell does that mean? Because I'm going to tell you something. I know two people that were atheists who believe they found their soulmates. How can you have a goddamn soulmate when you're an atheist and you don't believe in an immortal soul? I am telling you right now, I have yet to see anyone involved in a quote-unquote soulmate situation that it's ever worked out for the better. What I have seen is the word soulmate used to justify really bad behavior, decisions, and choices. It's, it's a total rationalizing word. I can make a bad choice because this is either in the name of love or I've found my soulmate. I'm in a bad marriage. Uh, I found my soulmate online and uh, I'm going to run off with this person. The word soulmate is a fabricated word used to rationalize and justify bad behavior and bad choices. You are falling, and I put in quotes, love with an ideal, an idea, but not a real person. So when you watch these morons sit on these tell-all episodes where they talk about, Ken, what's it like to fall in love with somebody that you've never met? You didn't fall in love with somebody you never met. You have fallen in very strong like with an idea, a concept, or better yet, a caricature of the person that you desire. I want to look at the concept of reality TV. So keep reality TV in quotes from here on out. There is no such thing as reality television. Everything is scripted. And I'm going to give you an example of this. Way back, I used to be an educator. And my students nominated me for a burgeoning reality show that I believe was going to be on Showtime called American Candidate. I was suggested for this show because I used to posit the question, and that is, could someone truly be totally 100% honest and win the presidency of the United States? In other words, could you run a totally 100% truthful campaign, warts and all about yourself personally, opening up everything that you are as an open book and also speaking honestly. Now, I know in 2016, people argued, well, yes, Donald Trump. 
we're not getting into whether you think this guy is honest or told it like it is. That's an entirely different thing. I'm talking about a 100% well-intentioned campaign, not about the self or self-aggrandizement. Can that be done? Well, I ended up being contacted by the showrunner and uh, I had to submit a video and I thought, yeah, I'll run with this. Let's see what happens here. And when you know it, I got selected. Out of over 3,000 uh, auditions, I made it down to like the last, I think it was like 20 people. And they flew me to Los Angeles where then I had to sit down among all these other people, these prospective presidential candidates. And uh, they interviewed me with the producers and the showrunner. And the one producer, I believe he was also the director, was also the director of The War Room, the documentary about the Clinton campaign. And it was a series of interviews over the next couple days uh, to screen me to see if I would be a possible candidate for this show. You need to understand, we were at peak Survivor show at this time. And reality was really ramping up. So everybody had to have a reality show. And they buttered me up and said, oh, you're this and that. We, we love you. We love you. Harrison, we love you. And then they started asking me questions. And here's my point. Number one, they started asking me these questions. Uh, definitely, they were leaning toward the left, and I'm not politicizing this episode. Uh, I am firmly neutral in my political leanings. I've said this on this podcast before, quite frankly. I think both parties are full of shit, and I don't think they really have the true interest of the country at heart on both sides. They had some very left-leaning uh, questions, and, and especially at this time, uh, we had just invaded Iraq not too much earlier, and we were smack dab in, in Bush's administration. So the, one of the questions was, uh, how do you feel about the Bush administration's handling of the environment and its climate policy? I pointed to the window, and they turned their cameras around, and I said, I noticed that several of your crew here, I, I can see the labels of the show and the company, right out there in the parking lot on Humvees. These are Hummers that you've driven to work in. So you're asking me to trash the Bush administration, which by the way, for the record, I am not a Republican and I can't really say I was a George Bush supporter. And yes, there are a lot of things. There were a lot of things wrong with the environmental policy of the Bush administration. However, I pointed to them and I said, if you're so concerned about the environment, why are there three of the worst, most flagrantly offensive to the environment vehicles sitting out there in the parking lot with your company and show's name on them? And they didn't like that answer. So they skipped it and they went to another uh, series of questions, which I'm going to go to this one. They said, Mr. Smith, if you were selected for this show, would you use compromising information if it fell into your hands to smear your fellow candidate to win this contest and to win this show? Now, the prize of the show was $250,000 and they would finance, I, I think it was X amount of dollars toward a presidential campaign. Well, look, we all know Unless you're a billionaire and you're able to get billions in donations, hundreds of millions at the least in donations, you're not really running a successful campaign. It's kind of like having a small little indie film like Camp Dread going up against the marketing program for Star Wars or a Marvel film. 
And look, I was there on a lark. This was all gravy for me. I had no intention of getting on this show and no intention, let alone of winning it, even if I did. So I asked them back. I said, so you're asking me if I would take damaging information about a fellow candidate here, a fellow contestant, and use it and weaponize it uh, for the show, like for public display. And they said, well, basically, yes. I said, well, what do you mean? Give me an example. So they said, well, what if one night in your hotel room, uh, an envelope was slipped under your door and it contained information about a candidate that that is really very competitive with you and it could be down to just the two of you. And it was that this candidate had a drug problem or an alcohol problem, some type of substance abuse problem that would definitely take them out. Would you use that information? So I thought about it for a second and it didn't take me long. And the answer was no. And they replied, So you really don't want to win this. You really don't want to be president. Number one, I'm here because my students nominated me and sent me in because my question to my class has always been, can someone run and be totally honest? So you're asking me to take information that would harm this person after the show. It would harm them and out them to their families It would cause personal distress for their children, loved ones, relatives, friends. It doesn't matter. You're asking me to weaponize data that will cause severe personal harm to this person for the sake of a stupid contest game show. That's what you're asking me. And they said, well, we we think you're kind of really distorting this. No, 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 no. That's what you're asking me to do. I said, so let me tell you something. $250,000 after taxes is nothing to retire on. (laughs) While I would want $250,000, I don't need $250,000, especially I don't need it that much to slander and hurt someone on television throughout the nation and across the world. Most of all, how can I go back into my classroom and look at my students and say, always stand up for the right thing, always speak up for the right thing, always do the right thing, Unless, of course, it's for a lot of money or a lot of personal uh, acclaim and, and publicity. How can I go back into that classroom with any type of credibility? And they looked at me and they looked at each other. You could see them. They sat at this long table and I was on video saying this. I wish I could get the tape of that. I just basically knew it was over. So at that time, I had been married. I called my ex-wife, who was my present wife at that time. And I told her it was like a Monday, I think. I said, I'll be home by Thursday. Well, I can tell you this. I was home by Tuesday. (laughs) I was home Tuesday night. The following morning on Tuesday morning, they told me. They they met me at breakfast. That's how they were winnowing out like the last 12 people for the show. I think it was down to 12 people. That's what they wanted. The director himself uh, with some assistant probably, I, I don't know who it was, but it was a woman He uh, came to me and he sat down at my breakfast table with me and he said, you are a colorful character. And I'm like, thank you. And he went on to praise me. They do that. They butter you up. They praise you because you know what's coming. It's the big letdown. And while he praised me for my colorful character, uh, he said my character was not going to be part of the story they wished to tell. That's almost verbatim what this guy said to me. And I looked at him over my breakfast cereal and I said, That's funny. I thought this was reality TV. And he smiled and the girl next to him smiled and he goes, everything's scripted. You know that. I said, yeah, I do know that. I said, but I just had to ask. I said, so 
I'm not going any further. He said, no, I'm, I'm sorry. And I joked, I said, well, are there any lovely parting gifts for me? And he said, no, other than uh, we can give you, you know, I, I got some stickers and I think I got some kind of like binder. <laughs> so that was great. Uh, the only claim to fame I have of the show is, is part of my demo tape where I'm dressed up as a cheerleader uh, at a pep assembly in school made it to the opening of the show because it only ran a couple episodes, if I remember correctly. It was hosted by Montel Williams and uh, I don't think it ran to the end. I, I, I don't think it made it at all. Now, of course, I've gone on to produce a reality show, Hangmen, for the Discovery Channel. And yes, of course, you script the narrative. It's all about the story the producers want to tell. And it's all about the editing. So the drama on these stupid shows is in the editing and in the story structure. So if they find a colorful character, they're going to exploit them. And I think they saw potential to exploit me, but I wasn't going to play the game because I really meant what I said. I'm not going to hurt someone just to further myself in a stupid reality show. I want to now take another pit stop before we get into these stupid shows. And that is, I want to look at something I call the pretty woman syndrome. Yes, we all know that the pretty woman was a huge box office success. It made a lot of money. And, and look, if you like the film, great. I'm, I'm not here to review the movie. The belief that people thought this was some kind of fairy tale. I guess if Snow White or Cinderella were whores, and you'd be amazed the number of mothers that I heard saying they're showing their daughters pretty woman because of its fairy tale aspect. Really, folks, that's the best you can do to cite a great example for your daughter. Pretty woman, while you may like the film and it's an entertaining motion picture and it's well made, Gary Marshall, all of that stuff. The movie is a celebration of materialism and a completely superficial lifestyle. Julia Roberts' character would have had no interest in Richard Gere if, number one, he wasn't handsome, and number two, he wasn't wealthy or her prince. And look, if you like the film, that's fine. But when this kind of movie is repackaged as a fairy tale or desirable romantic stories, we have a problem. I'll give you an example of Darcy, and I'm going to use her because she has put herself out there publicly on 90 Day Fiance, uh, dropped the word prince and soulmate so much, but she was looking for a prince, fairy tale. None of this is a fairy tale. The need for princesses in a world calling for female empowerment is totally counterproductive. And many of these women who drop the word prince and fairy tale in almost the same breath, they will turn around and talk about how empowered they are and how independent they are and how strong they are. You're not that strong if you're out there looking for a prince to lean on. Just because you say it doesn't make it so. It sounds great for the television, but in this Me Too female empowerment area, why the hell are you out there searching for your prince? Go be strong on your own. And most of all, a lot of these women... They also have daughters and children. What is that message? We're going to get into the men. Don't worry before you go, oh, you're being sexist. It's not all about the women. No, believe me, we're going to get to the creeper men, especially not just the idiot men, but the creeper, dirty old men looking for their child brides overseas. I'm just right now focusing on the women who constantly claim looking for their princes, who also many times are looking for men that are 20, 30 years younger than them. These are older women and they're looking for boys. You're really just looking for a young penis. 
That's what it comes down to. And you layer on the soulmate, you layer on the prince, I need a fairy tale. I'm sorry that your life didn't go the way that it should have or that you wanted. And now you're doing this. And here's the problem. You're airing these stupid decisions and these bad mistakes on television. And we're going to get into all of that. Their families watch this. Their children go to school. People watch the sex lives of these kids' parents broadcast on national television and then have to go to school every day and hear about it. Imagine, you know, a 14-year-old girl having to go to middle school or high school and people going, oh, so your mom banged that guy. I watched the show last night. And here's the point, folks. These mothers will turn around and go, my children are my number one priority. No, they aren't. If they were number one, you wouldn't be flying six weeks away Okay, to spend six weeks overseas with some boy toy if your children are your number one priority. What about uh, therapists or child protective services watching these shows and actually saying, you know what, these people may not be fit parents. No one's looking at that. Where's the outrage cancel culture on this? No, instead we're totally enabling this saying, oh, I love it. It's drama. It's garbage television. Entertainment has proliferated so much into our lives that the line between illusion, fantasy, and reality, those those lines are blurred. The Hollywood version of love, which is, you know, romantic comedies, those those great endings where the music swells or John Cusack holding a, a boombox over his head, the, the love at first sight thing. There is a big difference between love and lust and the lexicon of words that rationalize this. Are humans really meant to be monogamous? You've got to look at the origins of marriage. I mean, our number one job is through biology. A lot of people ask, what is the purpose of life? Well, any good biologist or scientist is going to say, well, the the purpose of life is to reproduce. When people say the virus is killing people, the coronavirus is killing people, it's, it's killing. No, actually, it's surviving. The coronavirus's only purpose is to reproduce. There have been officials who say that humans are nothing but really a virus on this planet. What is our job? It is to reproduce. So then why did suddenly throughout our history, we develop the concept of monogamy? Look, I've looked at a number of sources on this and I I used to teach the history of of marriage. And and I'm going to give you my version of of everything that I've, I've kind of synthesized. And that is... Marriage, and I use that in quotes right now because this is the rough version of marriage, was really a ceremony to bind women to men and ensure that the man's kids were were biological heirs. Like, for example, in, in a binding ceremony in ancient Greece, a father would give his daughter with these words, and I am quoting this, I pledge my daughter for the purpose of producing legitimate offspring. Now, among the ancient Hebrews, men were free to take several wives and and married Greeks and Romans were free to satisfy their sexual urges with concubines, prostitutes, and, and yes, even teenage male lovers while the wives were to stay home and, and Donna read it up. If wives failed to produce offspring, their husbands could give them back and marry someone else or as we got later into the 14 and 1500s, well, you could just kill your wife too. You behead them. So it was a pretty sweet deal. If you were a guy, as the Roman Catholic Church became a powerful institution in Europe, the blessings of a priest became a necessary step for for a marriage to be legal. And by the 8th century, marriage was widely accepted in the Catholic Church as a sacrament or, or a ceremony to bestow God's grace. 
At the Council of Trent in 1563, the sacramental nature of marriage was written into canon law. I mean, getting the church involved did improve the lot for wives. It really did. It made things a little better here. I mean, men were taught to show greater respect for their wives and they were forbidden from divorcing them. And Christian doctrine declared that, in quotes, the two shall become one flesh, giving husband and wife exclusive access to each other's bodies. This put new pressure on men to remain sexually faithful. But the church still held that men were the head of the families and that wives had to defer to them. It was definitely a patriarchal kind of thing. So for much of human history, couples were brought together for practical reasons and, and not because they fell in love. In time, of course, many marriage partners came to feel deep mutual love and, and devotion. But the idea of romantic love as, as a motivating force for marriage, it only goes as far back as really, at least as far as I've been able to find, the, the Middle Ages. Naturally, many scholars believe the concept was invented by the French. Its model was the knight who felt intense love for someone else's wife, like in the case of Sir Lancelot and King Arthur's wife, Guinevere. 12th century advice literature told men to woo the object of their desire by praising her eyes and her hair and her lips, sounding like Pepe Le Pew, mm, kiss, mm, kiss your eyes, your lips. So the good thing was, is in marriage, wives no longer existed solely to serve men. I mean, the romantic prince, in fact, sought to serve the woman he loved. Still, the notion that the husband owned the wife continued to hold sway for centuries, as we know. When colonists first came to America at a time when polygamy was still accepted in most parts of the world, and which is why I've left out sister wives in, in this episode... The husband's dominance was officially recognized under a legal doctrine called coverture, under which the new bride's identity was absorbed into his. The bride gave up her name to symbolize the surrendering of her identity, and the husband suddenly became more important as the official public representative of two people, not one. The rules were so strict that any American woman who married a foreigner immediately lost her citizenship. So what changed things? I mean, we're, we're here where we are, and that's what I mean. I feel these shows kind of take things backwards. They, they take it a bunch of steps backwards. So all of you women that are like, oh, I love these shows, and it's about female empowerment, and I am woman, hear me roar, then stop supporting these shows which make you look like victims. Crying women bawling their eyes out over 20-something boy toys and thinking they found love and princes to whisk them away from their humdrum or terrible failed lives. Stop it. Stop making stupid people famous. So going back to some things that, that changed the paradigm here, well, you know, women won the right to vote. When that happened in the U.S. in 1920, the institution of marriage began a dramatic transformation. Suddenly, each union consisted of two full citizens, although tradition still dictated that the husband still ruled the home. But by the late 1960s, state laws for getting interracial marriage had been thrown out, and the last states had dropped laws against the use of birth control. And by the 1970s, the law finally recognized the concept of marital rape, which up to that point was inconceivable as the husband, quote-unquote, owned his wife's sexuality. What a bunch of bullshit. The idea that marriage is a private relationship for the fulfillment of two individuals is really very new. And this was said by Stephanie Kuntz, author of The Way We Never Were, American Families in the Nostalgia Trap. That's a quote from her. And she went on to say that within the last 40 years, marriage has changed more than in the last 5,000. 
So princes, romance, being whisked away, being in love with several people at once. Can this be supported biologically? I mean, look at the recent coronavirus panics and the concept of get mine. Humans are possessive by nature. We are selfish animals. We don't share well. Going back to soulmate, soulmate is used, as I said at the opening of this podcast, to rationalize bad behavior. It assuages affairs and age differences. I knew of someone, a woman, who was in a bad marriage. For the sake of argument, the marriage wasn't good. It had a lot of ups and downs. And she had several affairs. But her final affair in that marriage before it finally broke up, she ended up in a relationship with a convicted child molester. This guy was a convicted sex offender for children. Convicted. I can't say that enough. And you know what the word was she used to describe their love story? He was her soulmate. And she had young children at the time. So much of a soulmate that you're willing to bring a child sex offender into your life and into your home. Because he came to her home numerous times with young children. That's your soulmate. I know of another story. A guy and a woman, these were friends of mine, were carrying on an affair behind uh, the guy's spouse, her back. And uh, he said he so loved the woman he was carrying on with that she was his soulmate. Well, if that's your soulmate, leave your wife and the marriage legitimately and carry on with this new love affair. If it's so torrid, and it's the passion of your life, then end the bad marriage and do it. Never happened, and it didn't turn out well. These are extramarital excursions, and the word soulmate is used to justify bad behavior and the inaction of the individual to take responsibility for their own lives. It's a free password to justify selfish behavior. So when you hear that on these shows, my kids, whether it's male or female, my kids are my first priority, no They are not getting on television, exposing your life to the public, whether it's for fame, likes, or furthering your career and starting some type of cottage industry about the the limited fame that you get. That's your priority. As long as your needs are satisfied, your needs are the priority. This is lowest common denominator television and entertainment, folks. It is extremely cynical because you are being played. And the message that is coming out of this is not only simplistic, in many ways, it's dangerous for those who don't know any better. So we're always worried about our children's welfare and and so much is on the internet and online. Why aren't like child protective services or things like that called in or at least alerted? When these people watch these television episodes, the welfare of these kids, you know, strangers brought into their lives, like, why isn't this looked at, especially with, for example, again, I'll use Darcy as the example here, who now is like on her third season of this 90 day fiance. What good is this for her children? You're bringing strangers into the home. You're bringing people, you're you're sending, not even that, you're, you're sending a message that mommy needs to find her happiness outside of this family. And yet it wouldn't be so bad if you didn't go on the cameras and say, I'm independent, I'm strong, I I don't need this anymore, I don't need validation. Yes, you do. 
That's all this show is about is validation. So what about the humiliation as, as I alluded to before for these kids when they go to school and, and their private family lives are exposed and your mom is having sex on TV. I mean, they, they show it, they, sh they show her, you know, like, oh yeah, we had sex, we were intimate, all of that stuff. You are putting all of that out there for so many people to consume. And again, I, I know almost all of this is scripted to fit the narrative, but the average person doesn't seem to know that. This is not love. This is validation. This is a 40-something-year-old woman looking to be validated. And, and let's just stop there, for example. And I'm not being personally nasty about this, but this woman has enough cosmetic work on her for at least several female celebrities. So if you're so independent and so body positive, why have you amended your face and body so much between implants and Botox and hair extensions and horrible makeup? It's horrendous. This is all about validation. It has nothing to do with love. It has nothing to do with finding your inner happiness. And we're sending a really horrible message to our children. So now enough of piling on the females. Now let's flip the tables here and start piling on the men. What about a man in his 50s? What is there between him and a 20-something girl? Especially a girl from another culture who has no idea about American culture and has an entirely different view of, of the love or relationship system. Right now in this society, we are, you know, screaming about Me Too and creepy old predatory men. And this show condones that kind of behavior. You can lust after a young girl that's more than half your age, as long as it's in the name of love. Like the one moron from Ohio that flew down to, I believe it was Haiti, for a girl that was obviously playing very naive old men and schnookering them out of money. And this guy is talking about being in love. You are not in love. This guy was like 53. This chick was 20. And on top of it, she admitted to having a relationship with another guy who was in his 60s. And she had to be, at that time, 16 years old. So it was four years earlier. Why are shows like this not being attacked by the Me Too movement and that cancel culture? Why are you people seeming to rally around these shows and excusing them and rationalizing them for just good old-fashioned entertainment? I'll go even further to say that some of these episodes actually seem to espouse a legal form of pedophilia. The bottom line is you see a lot of the use factor in here. One entity is using the other. So you could argue these older men, they, they're, they're whatever, for whatever reason, they can't find somebody here their own age. So they're using the ignorance and, and other you know plays going into this to use a young girl for really their own carnal desires, their own physical satisfaction. And what does the girl get out of it? Well, usually, or, or even not even the girl, even the younger guy, like a, a couple of these women have gone to Nigeria and, and other foreign uh, countries just for the visa to get back here. You can say I'm superficial and mean and all that stuff. The one woman that is recently on 90 Day Fiance, my God, she, she looks like Mama Fratelli from the Goonies. And this young, uh, handsome rapper in Nigeria is really physically attracted to this woman who is like 30 to 30 some years older than this guy. Give me a break. 
And I know you're going to say, wait, you sound sexist. You sound like Howard Stern. No, I'm not. Let's flip it over. What do these young, pretty girls have to see in an older man? And I'm not talking by a couple years. We're talking 20, 30 years older than these girls. And they're not women. They're girls. This is no different than a child bride situation. And you get these men, if that's what you want to call them, they're, they're creepers is what they are. And they're, they're going for these young girls because they need them. They see the money that this guy may have. One of them, for example, on the show said basically right out, he's not attractive, but he's rich. And so it, it's a ticket out of their situation in their country. It comes down to biology. And I'm going to use an audio clip from Big Daddy, Adam Sandler's movie, that really justifies it all. I know you're gonna be missing me when you got that big, white, wrinkly body on top of you with this loose skin and old balls. What young girl wants old balls? Why do you want an old dick? Why do you want an old wrinkly ass? Why do you want an older wrinkly man? It does come to biology. And you can say age doesn't matter. Love is blind, which we'll get to that stupid show in a moment. It comes down to biology. Let's let's just say it is love, whatever that word is. And a young girl has a child with this older man and he's 30 years older. And you have this kid And this guy is already in his 50s. And then he's going to be in his 70s by the time that kid starts hitting 18 to 20. What life is that for that kid to have such an old father? And I know you're going to find the apologists and the outraged people saying, oh, that's terrible. Now, you're outraged by what I'm saying, but you're not fucking outraged by these people doing this to their children. You have no problem doing that. Oh, my children are my priority, but I'm going to fly across the ocean, stay for six weeks, put my kids in care of somebody else, or in the case of one, I'm going to take my child with me, my baby with me, to someone I've never met that does have a criminal record, and it's all going to be okay because it's under the auspices of love, soulmates, and entertainment. What about background checks on these people? We already had one uh, on that Megan wants to marry a millionaire who was a killer. In addition to that, we have people now, there was outrage over the one guy that flew to Russia because he has criminal charges now. People say, yeah, but granted, it's by the ex-wife. That could be a revenge thing. Look, I'm not getting into all of this. The point is these people have children. This guy says, I'm doing this for love. What about your kids, dude? What about what you're putting them through? Now all their friends, all the world knows that their father has this criminal record, whether it's valid or not, made up and trumped up. It's out there now. And your kids have to deal with this. You had one guy who flew to, I forget where it was, Columbia, I think it was. He meets this woman who very clearly was using him. She meets him once, dumps his ass, and then he falls back on another one on a web dating site and then proposes to her within a week, and then realizes, oh, this probably wasn't good, and in the end comes home to his daughter, all right, and then she has more common sense than this guy, and he decides, I'm going to call it quits with the fallback, and try to get back with the ex-wife. What are you doing to your kids? How is this love, and how is this justified, and most of all, the message that goes out to people who don't know better, whether it's younger kids or people that just simply aren't bright enough to get it, is that this is love. It's not love. 
It's validation and it's lust and it's a series of bad choices that can lead to some really bad situations. And it's all forgiven under the auspices and umbrella of entertainment. Some of these men have daughters as old as the girls they're pursuing. And again, all of this is put on public television and the word love is dropped. It's all about love. This is not about love. This is about lust. This is about validation, midlife crises, whatever you want to call it. But this is not love. And we need to stop using that word to describe this. So now let's look at love is blind. We have a show where people talk to each other. They fall in love with their words. They fall in love. They don't see each other. And then they discuss with their friends afterwards, the girls on one side, the guys on the other. And I've watched pretty much the full season now on on Netflix. So you just spend time telling people what they want to hear. You have no idea who these people really are, their real backgrounds, their real lives. You don't know someone until you've been with them. And most of all, a lot of times you don't know someone until you've lived with them. And these people are talking about slipping rings on fingers by talking through a divided partition. The message out of it, if you want to watch this for entertainment, great. But this is not empowering toward women. And it certainly is not about finding love because love is an entirely different thing than love is blind and all these other shows are pontificating. I'll give you my own love is blind situation here, which combines pretty much with 90 day fiance and everything else. When I was a kid in high school in my eighth grade and then freshman year in high school, uh, I got a pen pal. And I believe I got this pen pal through a class. I, I can't remember, but they handed out names if you wanted to have a pen pal. And I got a pen pal. I started writing her. I had no idea where it would go. This is before the internet. So it was literally a pen pal. You put pen to paper and you wrote. I started, I remember my first letter with uh, a photograph and I wrote about my background, what I liked. And I might've been all of 13, 14 years of age. And uh, she wrote back. She sent a picture. I thought her picture was beautiful. I thought this girl was really attractive. And I'm, I'm a horny young teen at that time. And I'm thinking here, this is terrific. We started writing back and forth. I swear, and back then you had to get the airmail envelopes. I remember they were red, white, and blue. And it was a special stamp. And, and I graduated from letters to audio tapes sending uh, gifts back and forth, small little trinkets, uh, stuff from American culture, uh, stuff like that, no food or anything, and and nothing of of real value, just cool stuff that reminded us of each other. I sent a lot of photos because, again, no internet, so you had to get photos, print them up, and put them in an envelope and paid postage for that to send them. This went on for well over a year. And then I graduated to something else because in the high school, down in the front lobby, they had a payphone. And because this girl was on the other side of the world, and I am now learning all about time differences and time zones, if I called around 10 a.m. in the morning, it was right around, I think, like two, three o'clock in the afternoon over there. It was somewhere where I could get a hold of her. She was home. She wasn't in school. And I'm not kidding you. I used to work Uh, mowing lawns before I got my working papers. I used to work mowing lawns and landscaping and yard work. And I used to put away money out of my budget to buy a roll of quarters, $10 worth of quarters. And I used to excuse myself from class and I'd go down to this payphone and I would call her. I am making a long distance call 
halfway across the world just to talk to this girl. And by the time I'm done feeding the quarters into that payphone, I might have had maybe two, three minutes on the phone with her. Whoever came to collect the money out of that payphone, it was a shitload of quarters that had to pour out of there because I was doing this sometimes once a week, sometimes twice a week. So you're looking at 10 to $20 worth of quarters vomiting out of this machine. It went from I was making calls from home, running up our phone bill, and my mother would demand the money. I started putting money into these phone calls. Now, this is not a 90-day fiancé thing where this girl was looking for money from me. I never sent her money for anything. It never worked. But then I started also sending telegrams. And they went from, you know, hey, you know, the letters, the long letters where I told about my day and hey, how are you? It was turning into telegrams of dropping you a line, happy birthday, love you, Harrison. She would write back, love you, so-and-so. I'm falling in love with her. But I'm not falling in love with her. We're, we're only sharing the good times with each other. We're only sharing the positive things. I'm not over there and she's not here for when we're both in shitty moods, when we both don't feel like talking, when there's an argument with our parents or financial problems because, you know, you have to spend your money on this, that, and the other thing and have no money for yourself. In other words, all the things that life gives you. We had this selected life. She would send photos. I would send photos. And we fell in, and I quote, love with the ideal of each other. And it was romantic to even get in trouble by our parents uh, for making these phone calls and running up long distance phone bills. I remember my mother, I can still hear her, no more calls to this country. That was it. It was done. It was romantic. And it made my heart flutter. And every time I came home and I opened up that mailbox and there was a red, white, and blue envelope or something that looked like from her country's envelope, my heart would get all a flutter. But it wasn't love. I thought it was, but what the hell did I know? I was like 13, 14. We did this all through high school, pretty much all through high school. By the time I reached my junior year in high school, I had become pretty popular and discovered uh, partying and working pretty much full time. It's, you know, for supporting my car and I had the regular teenage life. So we kind of dropped off a little bit. It, it wasn't as impassioned as it was before I started driving and becoming a social butterfly, but we still stayed in touch and we vowed that we would get together. I started putting away some money and I think I saved almost $1,000. We combined our money. She saved money. And the year after I graduated high school and she flew over here and I took my college roommate with me into JFK airport in New York city. And we picked her up about five minutes after she walked through that gate and I ran up and hugged her. I realized this isn't love. There was no big love connection. There was no big romantic thing. Uh, while her pictures were cool, she looked very different from her photos, and I suspect she wasn't really pleased with me uh, from my photos to real life. She was very short, a lot shorter than I thought she was, and I'm not just being superficial. What I'm saying is she's an attractive girl, but there was no connection there, and she also found American culture very, very different and actually pretty rude and obnoxious. And so my lifestyle that I was living, I was in college, I was partying a lot, uh, was a big turnoff to her. Plus, when she found that I really liked horror movies, and even though she knew that in writing for, for all those years, 
to actually have to sit through a horror movie with me and deal with that. I took her, I believe it was, to see Poltergeist 2 in the theaters, and she hated it. She did see the original Poltergeist, but she never said whether she liked it or not. In real life, I found out she never did care for the original film, and she really hated the second. And I wasn't a fan of the second either, but for entirely different reasons. We were totally 100% incompatible in real life. And I found myself so distant with her while she was here. And this is awful. I was a young kid. I was 18, 19, something like that. 18. Um, I just kind of ignored her. We kind of drifted. And she found uh, some female friends of mine uh, that I pal with. And she kind of hung out with them more. She was here for like two weeks. And when she left, it was dropped off at the airport. It was a hug. But it was, I think, a sigh of relief on both our parts when we parted and walked away. she We never talked about I'll see you soon or me flying to her country. There was no love. It was a very strong like. It was a crush. It was whatever you want to call it. But it wasn't love. And she was certainly no soulmate. Relationships and eventually love form out of serious diligence, exploration, and understanding with the key factor here of maturity. Love is not a quick feeling or an urge. It isn't lust. It isn't the pursuit of being young again and looking for validation. Love's a complicated emotion, often masking insecurity and sometimes even masking ill intent. Shows like Love is Blind, 90 Day Fiance, and The Bachelor, where people can say, oh, I'm in love with three or four different people, it trivializes the entire emotion and makes it look like that we can just fall in and out of love with people quickly and sporadically. And this is a problem because we have a problem right now with our own children being able to form substantial and realistic relationships. Children have access to cell phones and social media, and what they think is love is anything but. There is no definition of love, and I might even be as cynical enough to say that there is no such thing as love. The term has become so overused, it just no longer has any meaning. These shows in the age of Me Too and female empowerment are anathema to such things. Women are diminished by these shows. This is not just entertainment. Look, I do not advocate canceling any of these shows mentioned in this podcast. The best response to them is an educated public and knowing what we consume for our entertainment. And folks... This is what cinema is all about. Know what you're watching. Understand what you're watching. Become educated and demand more. You want to watch garbage like this? Fine. Everybody needs a Big Mac once in a while. But do not confuse these shows with any type of statement on real human emotion or reality in general. This is Harrison Smith. Thank you for listening. I look forward to talking to you soon. Head on over to Apple Podcasts and give a rating and review. Cinema is also available on YouTube, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and Google Play Music and more. Check out my cinema blog on horrorfuel.net and download Dark Matter TV for your Apple or Android devices.